The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Welcome to 2019, formally for me to you. Welcome back. Some of you guys were traveling over the holidays. Hope you guys had a blast. Can't wait to see your posts on Facebook of all those photos. Um, introduce myself. My name is Dave Parton. I'm the pastor here at Neighborhood Church. Um, have been having services here a little over two years and um, loving it. Love, love what I get to do for a living. Love having you guys as uh, a spiritual family with my family. Um, many of you live in the neighborhood. Most of you live within a 10-minute drive or so from here. And um, just encouraged by the community that uh, we get to live alongside in 2019. I hope there's lots of stories of people in homes uh, hanging out with one another this year, that new people are in your home, that you're, you're caring for new folks. Um, there's uh, moving trucks. There's been three moving trucks in the last uh, two months around my house, within 10, 10 houses from my house. So new families are moving in the neighborhood over the, this season. And um, just that you would reach out to those folks. And uh, not only do we want to be a church that blesses and encourages people to come belong, we want uh, be a church that uh, understands their identity, who you are. We use the word be a lot, B-E-B. And um, inside uh, this, uh, these, these elements of growing your faith, one of them is reading the Word, reading God's Word. And this is a time every Sunday where we spend 25, 30 minutes or so studying the Bible, a specific passage, sometimes a whole chapter, sometimes just a paragraph. Um, we study God's Word together. and Sometimes this is a, a way to slow down. If you're just a Bible reader and you just like to read through the Bible, of course, it normally doesn't take you 30 minutes to just read a paragraph of the Bible. To slow down and just kind of go sentence by sentence sometimes about what the Word uh, is saying. And my encouragement to you is when you read the Bible, sometimes you don't just try to finish the chapter to get your chapter done for the day, but that you would maybe slow down and maybe write some things down and journal. Actually, I think I showed this to you last year. I have a, a, a journaling Bible that when things pop up, I write down on the side. There's a little margin for that. It's maybe something that if you're looking for a new Bible this year, you can do. Um, but if you've already looked inside your bulletin, one thing that we're going to be doing uh, each year as a church is just encourage Bible reading. And one of the ways we're doing that is Bible reading plans. Last year, we took about a third of the Bible and just read the New Testament. Uh, many of you guys were a part of that for the first part of the year. And the, the faithful strong stayed till the end and way to go. Um, uh, this year we're going to be reading the first half of the Old Testament. So it's about a chapter a day. So it's one of those things that you can read, you know, all about um, Adam and Eve and Abraham on a Saturday and catch up real quick if you haven't read the first seven chapters of Genesis. Uh, but right here in, in each week in the bulletin, we'll just put those uh, passages in there that is kind of keeping you up. And, and sometimes those verses will show up in the sermons because my hope is that I will do that alongside you uh, this year, my family, and we'll tend to like learn some about the law and the Torah and some of those initial books in the Old Testament. So I know we've been preaching through Matthew, and many times within Matthew, he will reference Jesus or 
or uh, uh, Matthew will reference uh, the Old Testament. But this is a chance for us that, that maybe we preach often on Sunday mornings in the New Testament that we'll be reading the Old Testament alongside. So some of you guys are excited about this. And if you're in discipleship groups, I encourage your discipleship group leaders, read this, have this, maybe these sections of the Bible come up. And sometimes reading the Bible in unity helps some of us who need that extra help to, uh, to, to learn or to get in that pattern and rhythm of, of reading. Sounds good? All right, well, let me pray before we get into the sermon today. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we we, we want to read it, and we want to know it, and we want to live it out. And this morning, as we talk about that, we talk about practicing what we're learning. Father, I, I, I pray that your words and your interaction with the Pharisees helps us understand how we should live our lives in 2019. Father, we are thankful that we have your word. I'm thankful that uh, most of us in the room can read, and we can study, and we understand things, and we have uh, uh, computers and helps that if we don't understand a word, we can just look that up real quick. And Father, I pray that this year is a year where we're just saturated with the Bible, that we fall in love with the Old Testament, your initial interaction with not just creating the world, but with humans. And Father, my prayer this morning is as we study your word, that if there's somebody in the room who's never read through the Bible, that maybe this is the year that they start reading your word. It's in your name. Amen. So we're going to be reading in Matthew twenty-two forty-one. We just went through a whole series of adoring Jesus through Christmas. And um, I really enjoyed studying Jesus, the Messiah, coming as a baby. Hopefully that theme continues throughout your life, that we don't forget Jesus came for us. Um, we will be in Matthew through Easter. So we're going to be walking through the last week of Jesus' life all the way up until the cross and his resurrection. So that's kind of how these last, it kind of slows down a lot at the end of Matthew. You'll see that. Uh, but in this last few days of his life, he says a lot of things. So we're going to study that up until Easter. And then we'll, of course, start a new series uh, this late spring, summer. So Matthew twenty-two forty-one is where we're at. Uh, it's on page 828 in the Bible, and it'll be on the screen behind us. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they, t whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So my aim today in this passage as we study it, that three things would come out of it. One is that you would put your faith in Jesus, that you would preach Jesus, and that you would practice Jesus. So here in this section, you have to kind of go back to October, right? October, November. But where we're at in Matthew is Jesus has already come into the city, to Jerusalem. It's his last week of his life before he goes to the cross. While this is happening, he, he, he goes to the temple, makes a ruckus of the temple by flipping over tables. You guys remember that because they were using that temple area. Remember those pictures of the temple? He, they were using those areas to make money and not leave space for the nations to come and worship God. So then people start coming to him and asking him things. We had the chief priests coming to him. We had the elders come to him. We had the Pharisees come to him. Then we had the Pharisees' disciples come to him. Then we had the Herodians come to him. We had the Sadducees come to him. We had a lawyer, one of the, one of the leaders of the Pharisees come. And now we have the Pharisees again coming back. And they're in a group. And Jesus is interacting, up, interacting with them. In this section that ends Matthew 22, this chapter, is going to set us up for what we read in 23. And what's the focus of this section, this end of Matthew 22? Well, it's about who Jesus is, right? As you read that, as we read that together, it's about who Jesus is. So what's going on here? Well, these groups have been asking Jesus questions, right? trying to stump him about taxes, about marriage, about the resurrection, about what's the greatest commandment, just these heavy questions. And we could say, Jesus got about an A-plus on all of those answers that he gave to that test. But now it's time for Jesus to ask them a question. So when Jesus asks a question, we find out that there's no more questions get asked, right? So Jesus asked a question, verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So this word Christ, it's the same word Messiah. You think about the Old Testament. They're looking for the Savior to come. He's saying, who is that Savior going to be? Whose son is he? Basically, who's his father? So Jesus asks the most important question. Not about the law. Not about taxes. Not about these, these things that we have to follow. But about the identity of the Messiah. And friends, as I was considering this this week, for the rest of our lives, we're going to be going back and forth about things in the Scriptures. And you may think, even within the Christian religion, we have so many denominations. We have one book. But we have so many different churches and denominations. Why is that? Well, when do you baptize, right? How does a church govern itself, right? are drums from the devil. Big questions, right, that divide styles of churches, types of churches. But what is Jesus? When he comes, what does he talk about? Who am I? Right? That's, that's his question. When it's time for Jesus to ask a question. So they respond to him, they say, the son of David. We just studied that for a whole month. The Messiah, the baby, where's the baby coming from? Well, in the line of David. So this sounds right. In the prophecies of the Old Testament, concerning the kingdom of God, David's told that a Savior is going to be born from his family that's going to rule forever. The line of David's correct. 
But Jesus is not satisfied with that answer alone. So Jesus says in verse 43, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, so he's saying David was being truthful and honest, this is the correct thing to say, calls him Lord? And David writes this in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. As I was studying this this week, Psalm 110.1 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Some because Jesus quotes it, so then the apostles quote it in their writings. But why is it so important? In verse 45, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. So here's the problem. It's a little confusing. The problem is that there's two lords in our language. Lord and Lord. But in the, in the original language in Hebrew, the first is Yahweh, and the second is Adonai. So the Lord, God, said to David's Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. To sit next to God is to have ruling authority, right? Like, sit at my right hand, ruling authority, alongside, equal to God. But this is a monotheistic religion. How is David talking about these two gods? How can, these, how can one of these lords, this one that's sitting at the right hand of the God, the Father, be the son of a human king? Is David... Becoming a pagan? Being led by the Spirit? Speaking a new religion? So this is where the Pharisees only get it half right. When they say, he was David's son. Yes, Jesus was in the line of David. But he's also the son of God. They were not gonna, the Pharisees were not going to say that. The Pharisees were not going to put their finger on Jesus being the Son of God, this highly quoted psalm is foundational for the understanding of who Jesus is. And this is where he's pointing and kind of poking at the Pharisees some. Guys, how does this work out? If David's son is God, how do you answer? Well, David can call him Lord because David's heir is the Son of God, who after Jesus finished his three years of ministry, after finishing his work on the cross, after finishing dying and raising again, after finishing his time on earth, he then ascended into heaven. And where did he finish? Where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of God. This is Christianity. This is our religion. He is leading he is ruling. He is our king right now beside God. Jesus, and I, I think he's, he's in a human flesh type body. He lived this life in our place. So point number one today. We have to put our faith in Jesus. That's the end of chapter 22. And this is where the Pharisees' failure began. We can learn a lot as we read these next few chapters in Matthew from the failures 
of the Pharisees. They rejected Jesus as God. May this be where our victory starts. May we trust in the Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. This is the steps of salvation. Salvation is a free gift for anyone who humbly admits their sin. Need of a Savior. Trust Jesus to be the Lord who took on the punishment for us. You must accept Jesus as the rightful king and have the throne of your life. Some of you guys use that language when you talk about becoming a Christian. Some of you in the room have yet to do that. But what does religion look like that does not start with this idea of getting off the throne, having Jesus the Lord who rightfully sits at the right hand of God sit there? Well, let's learn from the way Jesus talks to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but do not, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats at the, in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So point number two is preach. Jesus. We find here that the Pharisees actually were talking about the things of the law. They were doing things with their mouths to tell people how to live. Jesus knows the word must be preached. The law must be preached. You must talk about God. You must talk about his love. We must Proclaim the truth about Jesus. We're not called as a people to keep Jesus a secret. But we're actually called to go and tell the world the good news of Jesus. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, he writes, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. These these words reprove, rebuke. They're about saying there's something wrong here. Exhorting is about encouraging do something right now. What's the word we use often in the New Testament that Jesus uses? Repent. Turn. Turn from the wrong and go towards the good. Preach the word. Preach all the time. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy in this section, you know what? Pretty soon people's ears are going to start itching. And they're going to hear things that are not the gospel, but they sound good for their own passions and desires. And they're going to start turning away. So preach the good news. Preach what's right. Preach what's good. Preach what Jesus preached. Preach Jesus. We must use our mouths to inform people about Jesus and his love for them. Guys, the message is not easy. But it's good. Will you in 2019 share 
good news with people? Or will you just kind of be the friend who gives flattery away and kind of be the person who kind of itches the ears where people need them scratched? My hope is that you will be bold, that we as a church will be bold, and we will follow Jesus' model. So when I say that, this is what I mean. The Pharisees preached a heavy message full of burdens and guilt. Jesus preaches a message, what? That's light. That's freedom. Not because his commands are easy. Jesus, Jesus says you might die. Not because his commands are easy. Why is it easy and light for us? Well, because Jesus carries the burden. Not because there's not a burden. The gospel's heavy, but we don't have to carry it. Jesus has already carried it for us. This is the good news. In the Second Timothy passage, Paul encouraged Timothy to rebuke and exhort with patience. Friends, as, as I've lived in the neighbor for three and a half years, lived in a, uh, America most of my life, and I do share some stories about our seasons overseas. But as I've worked with people, as I've talked about Jesus with people, sometimes strangers, sometimes close friends, sometimes family members, guys, my right, my right leg's bouncing. Hundreds of times of talking about Jesus. I come stand before you, people who, who like me, I think, right? Who are caring friends, who, who bless my family. I, Sunday mornings, I've got a little, little tap in my right foot. There's something about eternal things when we talk about them. We think they're hard. There's a weightiness to it. Because it's true. We're talking about eternity for the human soul. That's good to know that. But what I want you to feel this year, the weight can be held by Jesus. That's why his burden is light. Because the yoke, this big, massive piece of wood that's on the oxen, is on Jesus. It's heavy to pull the plow of the gospel. But Jesus isn't asking you to do the work. He's already done the work. We have to be patient with people. As I've spent time trying to not do the work, allow Jesus to do the work, failing at that at times, having nervousness and wondering if this conversation, if they're going to like me or not like me or care about Jesus or not, and all the problems of meeting strangers that go through your mind. What I've learned is you share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and you, you leave the results to God. That's what I've learned. And you may say, well, what's the second step? You're patient. I hope for all of you in this room that if we've had spiritual conversations, that you felt some balance with my conversations with you, that there's like, this is true, but Pastor Dave's patient. I don't, never want to be the friend that's like this. 
Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? And that's how you guys feel God is sometimes. Do you know who the most patient entity in the world is? God. For thousands of years, he let mankind be idiots. And he came and did some discipline, but you know what? He was patient. He came into some discipline, but he's patient. My hope is that's how you are with your friends and family and children who are not following Jesus. But you have to, before you're patient, you have to give something away. You can't patiently wait for someone to do a task that you never told them to do the task. Patient, the, the very word means something has already been done that you're patient about. Right now, who are you being patient with when it comes to eternal things? And if nobody comes to mind, then you need to share something with somebody and then be patient with them. I think when we don't do this, knowing the good news and keeping it to ourselves, it's, it's not kindness, but it's actually unloving. David Platt shared with us at seminary one time this question. And help me understand the weightiness of what I'm talking about preaching Jesus. David Platt said to a room full of pastors, really loud, I'm not going to do it. How much do you have to hate someone to know they're going to hell and not tell them about the grace of Jesus? And I felt that. Like, if the Bible is true and eternity is true, then I believe this is a question we have to ask. And I'm not saying you should tell everyone you meet that's not following Jesus, they're going to hell. I think that's a bad idea. But you should care about it. And that should inform how you talk and how you act and the kind of spiritual conversations that you have. This is the most loving thing you could do. Share Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit with all kindness and love, and then be patient. We plant seeds. Who makes them grow? God. We plant seed. Who makes them grow? God. Patience generosity you love them you pray for them you know what you do third you love them some more then you pray for them then you love them some more it takes us to our last point number three practice jesus what can we learn from the pharisees mistakes 23 3 says so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do for they preach but do not practice. The Pharisees preached, but didn't do anything that they were saying in the right way. They did some religious actions. He lists off things they do, but they weren't for God. They were for mankind. And we learned in the Sermon on the Mount that when you desire reward from people, you do religious things for people, Guess what your reward is? 
those eyeballs looking at you, that smile, that's all you get if that's why you did it. But God has so much more for you. He wants you to know there's a great reward in heaven given to you by God that's better than some stranger smiling at you or a friend thinking you're a little bit better than you probably are. Twenty-three five says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? What's this word? So I looked it up. And when you look up phylactery in, the, in Google, this, these are pictures that show up. Show, raise your hand if you've ever seen this before, a phylactery, right? Some of you guys have seen this before. All right, so there's, there's these boxes. And those of us that haven't seen this before, you're like, huh, I didn't know that was a thing. So that's a thing, right? So Jewish people will wear these for their prayers. Go to the next slide for me. And this is what's inside those little black boxes. It's specific passages from the, the law, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. And they wear them on their heads, right? Because there's passages that says, bind it to your head. Bind the God's word to your head. So they, they, they write it out in Hebrew, put it in a little box, and they bind it to their head. That's a good thing, right? Right? Like to remember, like you're like, sure. God, you tell me it's in the Bible, I'll do that. And, and the one on the head, you know what that's about to do? Focus your mind on God. That's a good thing. The one on the arm. The one on the arm with the leather straps. You go back to that, yeah. Like it points at the heart. So your head, your mind, your heart. God's word would be on your heart. And they wrap this leather bound around their arms and around their wrists and all the way to the tips of their fingers. Why? Because their hands. From their head to their heart to their hands. God's word should be practiced. That's good. That's good stuff. But what if you're all week at home making these big boxes to put on your head and your arm and you're doing jack squat for Jesus? Then Jesus has something to say to you. You're making big boxes, buddy, but you're not loving anyone. You look like you're godly, but you're not. The Pharisees wanted their religiousness to be visible. Is that something you struggle with? Repent and turn back to God. Don't make much of yourselves. Make much of the true king. Amen? So what does Jesus teach us? 23.11 The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So as you think of the law going to your head, to your heart, to the tips of your hands, humbly serving. Would those two words come up if your spouse was asked to write ten words about you? Would humbly serving or humble servant if not, consider that for 2019. Your coworkers, your employees, your director at work, humbly serving. This is the kind of life that practices Jesus. 
You may not get any rewards here on earth, but God wants to reward you. And I would love to have a neighborhood church group that's full of rewards in heaven. So 2019, let's be a year we do these three things. Number one, put your faith in Jesus. If you've already given your life to Jesus, set up a rhythm daily to remind yourself of your identity in Jesus and be a child of God this year. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, my prayer is I'd love for you to talk to somebody about that and what that would look like to give your life to Jesus. Every Sunday I stand in the back and also my phone number's in the bulletin and I live right down the street. This is my favorite thing to talk about. If you have any interest in putting your faith in Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. May 2019 be your birthday year that you gave your life to God. May 2019 also be year that you preach Jesus, that you answer the question with a smile, do I talk about faith with Jesus? I challenge all of us this year to share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God that we're patient, that we remember the good news that we have accepted as followers of Christ, and we get to be conduits and envoys who get to give that away to others. So this morning, who is God putting on your life that you need to be patient with, that you need to share and be patient with? May 2019 be a year that we practice Jesus. May Neighborhood Church constantly bless our neighbors. May we bless this school. May we bless the other connected nonprofits that we interact with. May we bless the other churches in our neighborhood. May we live in a way that's hospitable. May our tables and our living rooms get destroyed because so many people and kids are at our house so often. What actions of love it's God laying in your heart today that you need to take that God's word wrapped around your wrist to the tips of your fingers that you should need to go do and live in humble service to others. Let's put our faith in Jesus this year. Let us preach Jesus this year. Let us practice Jesus. Let's pray. God, if this, if this is the sermon for the year for me, May if this sermon continues to just drip over my heart and head and hands, that I would see there's a great reward for practicing you. And there's eternal judgment for not. May that be my guide this year. Open my eyes to see the lostness, the many that are far from you, and that my heart cares. Make my heart care this year so others can put their faith in Jesus. Others can preach Jesus. Others can practice Jesus. And we'll live in a community full of loving people the way we dream of. It's in your name. Amen.